All right, so now concerning the things in verse number one that which you wrote. We covered that, these answering these questions. The first question that they gave is, is it good for a man not to touch a woman? Okay? What, uh, what are we seeing out of this? What, what is being said here? Okay? One thing I want to challenge us on as just normal Bible study and reading and at, when I was growing up, this was translated in a way or read in a way that it's not intended. Okay, when I was growing up, it was, it was stated the same way. I grew up with a King James rendition, which basically states the same thing. It is good for a man not to touch a woman. And this was often brought up in high school um, in, in class, in the um, youth group, right? And it, it was stated, men or boys don't touch. No holding hands. Don't sit too close. That kind of idea was what was stated here. And although those are probably good ideas for young people to be careful about, that they're not too uh, close to one another and uh, not sitting on each other too much and hugging on each other and so on and so forth, those are good ideas and, and probably something that uh, I will encourage my young girls not to do, right? Um, um, until they are of the right age and can uh, and and handle that, but this is not the passage we would go to illustrate that it is good for a man not to touch a woman. It's sh- more accurately translated: it is good for a man not to have sexual relationships with a woman. That is what's being said here. And how do we know that? Well, in Genesis chapter twenty and verse six, we're not going to. Uh, go there. I just want to give this reference to you. I have two different ones. In Genesis chapter 20 and verse 6, this is Abraham selling his wife or is, uh, saying that this is my sister, scared for his life. And uh, the king of the Egyptians there takes uh, his wife, Sarah, because he thinks that it's his sister. And God makes his statements. Then God said to him in a dream, yes, I know that in the integrity of your heart, you have done this. He was taking this woman in integrity. He didn't think he was stealing her from him as a wife. And I also kept you from sinning against me. This is God. I've kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Okay? Now, we understand the idea there is a sexual relationship with her. God did not allow the king to, uh, to go into Sarah, his wife, and, and be with her as a married man would. All right, and then as well in Proverbs chapter number six and verse twenty-nine, it says, "So in this, so in, uh, so is the one who goes into his neighbor's wife, whoever touches her, will not go unpunished." Okay, so the understanding is whoever touches his neighbor's wife. This is not, you know, that you've went over and she fell down and you touched her and picked her up, uh, that you're in judgment, okay? This is in the sexual uh, way, okay? And so it is a euphemism for that. So when we read this, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. We could literally say it is good for a man not to have sexual relationships with a woman, now, what, what do we feel is being said here? What do we understand is what, what's going on here? Okay, what do we, 
what do we see that is being said? Well, in chapter number 6, what did we see what was going on? Rampant sexuality of all kinds. Prostitution. Marriage in that day was very fluid. Okay, Very much a non... There was not a lot of commitment. There's four different kinds of marriages that we see in the Roman culture in that area. One was marriages between a slave. Okay? Slaves were allowed to be together as long as the um, owner of the slaves, the, the, the person that uh, was over them, allowed them to be together. And they would allow them to be in the same tent together, but they were only married as long as that slave owner allowed them to be. And if he sold one, then they were no longer together. Or he could take one from one tent and put him in another. And that was a very common thing to do. And so that was a form of marriage. They were together as a married couple would be, um, but... Um, very, uh, very different in the way that we would see things today. Okay, that, but that was one aspect that was going on in the city there. And most likely there's some Christians involved in that because there was Christians that were slaves uh, in that time. Another way that people were married in the Roman culture would be um, what we would call common law marriage, okay? And if a woman was to stay with a man for a year, uh, she was considered to be married to him. The United States, we look at it at seven years, and they were just a year. And so if a man and woman were together a year, they were considered married. So that was another form of marriage. And you can see how they were married, but all you would have to do is leave and go live with someone else and... You could be there for a year and, well, there you're again. You're married again. And it was, there was no like written record and, and so on of these type marriages necessarily. It was just kind of uh, known that they've been together for a year, they're married. Okay? The third type of marriage, which is a little bit more common and maybe something we would, uh, well, actually, that is very common, the, the living together marriage in the United States today. But something we're familiar with, with past history, would be a dowry type marriage where a man would come and say, I will purchase your daughter from you for X amount, or a father would sell his daughter <clears throat> because of financial troubles or so on and so forth, and there would be a dowry given in that marriage. And then the last marriage was usually saved for nobility, for the uh, upper class, higher class people, and that was actually, a, there was a ceremony, all right? There was a, a feast before, and there was a feast afterwards, and we see this in... Um, we see this with Jesus, right? There was a feast, and we see uh, this type of uh, wedding is very similar to the weddings that we would have today. There was vows exchanged. There was rings exchanged, uh, very similar. And that was looked at or viewed as a higher form or more legitimate type marriage. And so those were the different types of marriages. Uh, it was said in the culture there, it was not uncommon for um, uh, men and women to be married multiple, multiple different times. Uh, some would say it was not a rarity for a, a man or a woman to have tw up to 20 different spouses. 
in their in their time there because it was not a big deal for you know I come home and Jessica um, did not make the meal I really wanted she you know she had mac and cheese and a piece of bread and there you go that's what you get well you know what this is the second time this month you've done that you and I are done that was really what was going on. Or you're not satisfying me in this way. Or, um, you know, you're, you're not doing this or not doing that. And so the, the, the marriage vow and the marriage um, as a whole was just really messed up. There was no real um, cohesive, there was no stick it out. Uh, if, it, if you just grew unhappy with one another, uh, you moved on. Okay? So that was the culture. That was what was going on. So when we read this, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. We know the, the rampant sexuality of the city. And so this is what we, the way we would read this or understand this is the question is, is it good for a man just to stay away? Stay celibate. Stay, do not even have any kind of relationship with a woman. And this is not referring only in an immoral way, but even with your spouse. Is this, this is good because the only way we're going to really look different than the Corinthian people that were around is to really stay completely separate from this act altogether. Is it good? And, and that is one understanding of how we can look at that is a question asked, is it good for us just to stay away from it altogether? Is it good? Another way is Paul is saying it is good for a man not to touch a woman. It's good. This is an okay, acceptable thing. It's okay. It's acceptable for, a, uh, for men and women not to engage in um, sexual practices um, at all, okay? But he, he's going to address this as he goes. And my understanding of this is that the question is, is should we just stay away from it altogether? Swing the pendulum from one side to the other. One side says you can interact in any way you want sexually. There's no bounds, Nothing is out of bounds. You can do anything you want. It's your body. Do what you desire. And that's what Jeremy covered last week. And they swing the pendulum the other way and said, no, we need to buffer a body and not do anything that would please the flesh in this way. And that would separate us from those type people. All right? And that's what I believe is being said here uh, in this verse. And that's the question Paul is addressing all right, and um, a word for that is um, aestheticism. I'm not going to say it more than that. If you want to know what it is afterwards, you can come get it off my paper. Right? <laughs> but the meaning of the word is the severe self-disciplining and avoiding of all forms of um, indulgence, typically for religious reasons. Okay? So the meaning of that word is a severe discipline uh, of avoiding all forms of indulgence, typically for religious purposes. And you would say in your mind, well, that is a crazy thought process just to stay away from that 
type of action um, or if that type of relationship completely forever, that's, that's really a, that, I can't even comprehend that. But we see that in Christianity in today in just different ways, right? We, we, we see this there. This was a huge deal in their culture, and so this is how they're asking this. Is this a way that we should handle it? We see this in our culture today with what? Alcohol, right? Christians will say, well, I'm going to stay completely 100% away from any form of alcohol because of what it's done and what I've seen in my family, how it's hurt them. Or I'm going to stay away from it because I, I've seen the damage that it can do if you get uh, drunk. Or I'm going to stay away from alcohol for this reason or that reason. And they, they say that completely staying away from it is the only way that we should live and this is the only way that's pleasing to God. Well, that we have to be careful with, right? Is it good or wrong to say that I stay away from alcohol? No, it's not. But if I'm judgmental or using it as I am better than you because I don't drink alcohol, then it becomes a sin or it becomes wrong and we use it in that way. But we try to have this moral ground of I am better or I'm going to be more spiritual because I don't drink alcohol. Now there are aspects of drinking too much that is a sin. There's, that's in Scripture. So if you... Uh, are drunk, then I would have a way to say, you know, I believe you're in sin. But if you have a glass of wine or, or whatever, you know, that is a preference issue uh, that we have to be careful that we don't get to a point where we say, it's my way and only my way. We also see this with movies, right? When I was growing up, it was unthinkable to go to the movie house. You did not go to the movie house. You can watch it on TV, but you can't go to the movie house because that's really bad, all right? And uh, they would, some would say it's even, you know, you kids might not know this, but there is a rental place called Blockbuster, right, for uh, some of us that are a little older. Uh, and they would say you shouldn't even go in there because you can, you know, nobody knows what you're renting. And you know, the high, high moral ground, and some would say, well, I don't even have a TV in my house. I come home and read the Bible, and that's it. Well, that, you know, it's, it's fine. If you don't want to have a TV in your house, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. If you want to have a TV in your house, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, but to take it to the point where this is the only way that you should be because there's so much filth on TV. Well, there is a lot of filth on TV, but we have the ability. <laughs> I would agree. There's a lot of filth on TV. All right. A lot of uh, things that would get us away from God. But we have to realize that when it becomes my viewpoint that I am pushing on Jerry, Jerry, you should only watch what I think is right, this is when it becomes wrong. So it's not wrong. My wife and I have a movie standard in our house that we only allow certain types of things. I'm not going to push that on the church. I'm not going to stand up here in the church and say, you have to abide by my movie standard. That's between you and your house. 
But again, there are some aspects of movies that we could, as pastors, preach against, right? If you're watching X-rated movies and pornographic movies, well, we have grounds to tell you you're wrong. But uh, I would assume the majority of this room is that's not what we're engaged in, and some have different uh, standards. And so, and, and the last one I'll bring up just quickly is food. If you're engaged in Facebook at all, you see a lot based upon food. And sometimes you say, well, I am not eating sugar any longer. And I don't believe sugar is good for you. And so I'm therefore staying away from sugar. I've tried that. It don't work. All right. Uh, I fell miserably at that. And so uh, my, my daughter and I, my oldest daughter and I are uh, trying our hardest to only eat sweets on Sunday. And I did say trying, because it doesn't work real well. Uh, we, we, we try really hard at it, and uh, we don't always make it. But um, when I say that, you know, that's a belief that I have. But when I start saying, you know, Jerry, you have too much sweets going on in your life. You need to be as I am and stay away from them. Uh, it becomes prideful. It becomes all about you. And so... We have to be careful when we make these statements of, especially when we're dealing with a sinful type issue um, or dealing with a cultural issue that has the uh, heavy nuance of sin um, that we don't swing the pendulum to the other side and say, well, we just, just stay away from any kind of sexual relationship at all. And so Paul begins to address this question as he goes into verse number 2. All right, and so as we get down into verse number 2, the question again is, should a man have relationships with a woman? And verse 2, he says, but because of immorality... Okay? Because of immorality, because of what's going on and the rampant lust of the flesh, each man is to have his own wife and each woman is to have her own husband. These words are chosen specifically. Okay? Each man is to have a wife is not what it says. Okay? What does it say there? Each man is to have his own Wife, not a wife, but his own wife, and each woman her own husband. We are not to um, participate in desperate housewife show and just swapping all around the, the, the community with your wife and your spouse. You are to have your own spouse, and this is important because of immorality. We have seen such a change in America in the last so many years, and Jeremy has gone over this uh, in the last couple of weeks and what he talked about, but we view marriage and the relationship between a man and a woman in the bedroom in a very, very, very low standard in the United States today and really around the world. God created the bedroom relationship between a man, man and a woman to be for a married couple only. And it is to be enjoyed. It is to be thoroughly enjoyed. It is for procreation. But it is also for just enjoyment. 
but it is only for married people together. I was listening to the radio a couple weeks ago, and this came across the, the radio, and it was referring to COVID, and they said they did a study on relationships of people during COVID and how it struggled. And I want you to see if you see something um, weird or something um, askew in this. They said holding hands, hugging, kissing, and casual sex are all down. They're all lower. Well, which one of those do you think should not be in that list? Right? We should, we should not lump holding hands, kissing, hugging, and casual sex all in the same thing. But that's what's gone on in our culture. Our culture says it's no big deal. It's just casual. It's just a one-night deal. You know, we both agreed to it, and it was enjoyable, and we moved on. That is so common, especially in our college campuses today. And really, it's common even in our high schools. Do we realize today, in our high schools, seven out of ten young people have had a relationship of a sexual nature? In high school, in the last year. Nine out of ten college students have had some kind of sexual relationship with another person. In college, it is not uncommon uh, for 40 to 50 percent of men and women to have up to three different partners within a year. This is a complete and utter uh, misuse and misunderstanding of what the function is for the act of a husband and wife. God purposely designed this for the husband and wife only. And it to be enjoyed only by them. And we have so perverted it in the United States and around the world to make it into no different than holding hands or kissing or hugging. It's all lumped into the same, same thing. So Paul goes into this and says, hey, each man, you should have your own wife. Each woman have her own husband. But he doesn't stop there. He says the husband must fulfill the duty. So he's answering the question, should a man not touch a woman? He answers that in verse number 3. The husband must fulfill the duties to his wife, and likewise the wife to her husband. Now I want you to understand that this is, Paul writes this very equally. Okay? It doesn't give one more than the other. He writes this very equally. Husbands must fulfill the duties to the wife and likewise also fulfill, the wife is to fulfill her husband. Okay? I want you to understand this is in the context of a question asked. Okay? Context of what's going on in Corinth. I don't want you to come away from the sermon today, and we'll touch at this at the end, but I don't want you to come away from the sermon today thinking there's only one part of marriage that's important. 
That's not what Paul is saying here. He is saying that this is a very important aspect of marriage, and he gives the reason for it. But I don't want you to come away from today's sermon thinking, Mark believes there's only one important aspect, and he agrees with Paul that there's only one aspect of marriage. All right? A lot of, uh, a lot of our culture, that's what they, they, they believe. And uh, it's not. When... It is supposed to be, and I want to make sure I say this correctly, it is supposed to be the sexual relationship between a man and woman is one of the reasons you are to get married and should desire to get married. Why is it that we, uh, it's not important anymore? Why do we not view that as a big deal anymore? Well, years ago, you did not have relationships with that gal that you were dating until you got married. And that made the honeymoon so exciting. Why is the honeymoon exciting if you've been sleeping with her for the last, you know, two years, three years? There's no excitement in the marriage. There's no anticipation. There's a lot of guilt brought in, right? I've had multiple partners and, and, and there's lots of guilt. This is not God's design. God's design is for one man and one woman and for them to enjoy each other in this way after marriage only. Okay? Very important. Paul is very uh, pointed in this. And it does say the husband must fulfill the duties to the wife and likewise the wife to the husband. This is not a um, suggestion Paul is giving. He is saying in answer, this, is it good not to? No. God has created it for the purpose of marriage. What have we seen in our culture today? We've seen that the sinful culture steals what is good from God and makes it evil. How many of you feel uncomfortable wearing a rainbow shirt? How many of you are going to go down to the, Logan, are you going to go down and on the job site, right? Are you going to, on the job site, wear a large rainbow shirt? Would that, you feel comfortable doing that? No, probably not. <laughs> okay? That's probably not something that we would see, right? You, you, you wouldn't. But what has happened? What does the rainbow re represent? A promise from God. But we see our culture has taken it and perverted it. Some of us might see that with the Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit in, in some Christian circles and other places have taken the Holy Spirit and made it into this feel-good, la-di-da-di, not, uh, not something all that it's intended to be. And so we see Christians kind of want to stay away from being overly... Uh, ambitious about talking about the Holy Spirit. They, they've taken it and perverted what the true uh, understanding of the Holy Spirit. We see that in our society today. And we've seen that with sexuality. Perverted it. Made it into something low and meaningless. And it's just, it's just what it is. It's not, there's no specialness to it. Um, married people 
uh, in the 1950s, uh, people, uh, 10% of people were married at the age of 15 to 19. And it was very common um, to get married, at, you know, in your early 20s. That was what was common. You know what the common age for marriage today is? For men, it's 26, and for women, it's 28 years old. It's a common age for marriage today is 26 and 28. Well, between 26 and 28 years of age, your hormones start raging as a teenager, right? And so you've been dealing with sexual raging hormones for 10 to 15 years. No wonder why the rampant sexuality is everywhere because we're not getting married. We're just fulfilling our lustful desires outside of the marriage. And so there's real no rush to get married. There's no rush to it. There's, well, I'll, I'll do it when I find the right person and before then I'll figure out how to do this uh, bedroom thing really well and then when I get married I'll have it down. That is a common idea and thought process in our world. And that is not the way God intended it. We are to fulfill that duty alone to our spouse, is what he says here in verse number 3. In verse number 4, he, he expounds on this, and Paul is not politically correct at all in verse number 4. Okay, The wife does not have authority over her own body. It doesn't stop there, gents, all right? We, we get excited about that. Yeah, that's right. Okay? No, that's not. It doesn't stop there. But the husband does. Okay? And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. What is Paul saying here? Paul is getting at the heart of the issue is that we are to serve each other in this aspect of the sexual relationship between a husband and wife. I am to desire to fulfill my spouse's, my wife's needs and desires and not my own. I'm not, I'm not supposed to fulfill my own desires. I am to think of her and to, to, uh, to want to serve her and her desire is to do the same with me. And when that works perfectly, both partners are fulfilled in the marriage, in the bedroom. That is what Paul is getting at. You give yourself to your spouse in this way. You give of yourself to her. You become one flesh. And you tie yourself to that person. The intimacy of the bedroom is one of the greatest places to uh, have that, um, that tie together. It brings a husband and wife together in ways, in, in, in ways that other things can't. And it causes a, an affection towards one another that is profoundly a mystery almost. And it's God's design. It's God's design that the man give himself freely to the wife and the wife to freely give himself to her. And he goes on in verse number 5. In verse number 5, he states, stop depriving one another. 
right? And this would go back up to that statement that maybe we should just abstain from each other. He says, stop doing that. But this is also hitting in another uh, nerve, maybe, or another idea. Stop depriving one another except by an agreement for a time. A lot of times in marriage, and we know this, those of us that have been married, will use this act as a weapon. We'll weaponize it to get what I want to do. You know, he or she is not doing what I want, and so I'm not going to give him or her uh, that um, intimacy moment in the bedroom until they fulfill the desire that I might have for them. Paul says that is not okay. That is not the reason or that is not at all what that act is designed for. <coughs> Stop depriving each other. Don't do that. It is important and it is a necessity to have relationships with your spouse. Except for an agreed amount of time. This isn't a time where she says, well, I just, no, I'm not doing it, and I'm, I'm praying, and I'm being spiritual, and you're not, so I'm going to keep myself from you, yada, yada, yada. No, this is to be an agreed upon. And I want you to understand, folks, this is in the context of, uh, I believe, Paul is writing specifically here, in a married couple that are believers. Now, he does address those that are not believers. And there are challenges, I understand, with those that are unequally yoked. But at the same time, he is addressing married as married, whether you're married to an unsaved person or not. And it is not healthy or good to deprive your partner from sexual enjoyment is what Paul is saying here. Don't do that except for an agreed amount of time. Okay? Except for an agreed amount of time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Okay? And this could be, you know, the prayer, this could be because there's a tragedy, there's a hardship. You might be designed to, uh, for a time, both of you are going to fast from this so that you can devote yourself completely to God for a period of time. And, that, and that's okay. And Paul states that. But he makes sure to bring out the point here uh, in verse number 5, uh, for prayer, and then it says in the middle of verse 5, and come together so that Satan will not tempt you and become uh, because of the lack of self-control. What happens a lot uh, in our world um, is there's a fighting or bickering going on in the home. And this is saved, unsaved, split homes, all of that. There's bickering, there's fighting going on, and so we're withholding our, our bodies from one another because of that. And it's one of the causes for immorality in, in the marriage. You're not being satisfied from your spouse in the way that you need to sexually, and so you begin to look. Now, 
that does not mean the person that's not being satisfied in the marriage uh, is completely off the hook because, you know, she's not doing it, so I found it somewhere else. It doesn't let them off the hook. But I believe Paul here is saying that the person that's withholding themselves is not off the hook either. You're partially at fault with, from withholding yourself from your spouse. If you haven't got the understanding here, the human flesh is very weak in this area. Extraordinarily weak in the area of sexual uh, gratification. And we desire it uh, almost above anything um, as humans. And we see that in our world today. It's rampant everywhere in movies and so on. And so Paul says here, it's okay for a period of time, most likely a short time, uh, and then come together again so Satan may not tempt you because of the lack of self-control. This is designed to keep the married people together and not looking, not have their eyes out looking and seeing. We are to fulfill our spouse in this way. Now, again, they're not at they're not, not without fault if they go and cheat. But you aren't either if you're withholding yourself from your spouse. Now this is Paul's words. This is the way Paul's addressing them. Don't withhold yourselves from them. Make sure that you are fulfilling the proper duties of the spouse. Okay? And that is, that is very important. It's not the only thing in marriage. I don't want you to grab that today. But it is a vital part of marriage and that we don't want to just throw aside or not deem as important. In verse number 6, Paul makes a statement here, but this I say by way of concession, not as a command. So Paul is basically, I'm going to interject a thought here. I'm not commanding you. I'm not telling you this is what you have to do. I'm just saying this is a good idea, okay, if it's possible. Yet I wish that all men were even as I myself am. However, each man has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. But I say to the unmarried and the widow that it is good for them if they remain even as I. Okay, so Paul is um, like, likely here stating that he's unmarried. That's what we believe. Do we believe Paul was married at one time? Most scholars, most people do. Uh, he was a part of the Sanhedrin. He was, a, uh, very, he was a Jew of Jews. And to be a part of that, you were to be married typically by the age of 19, 20 years old. If you weren't, there was an issue. Uh, and they thought it as an issue. And so there's a good chance, uh, most likely Paul, because of his upbringing and who he was, was married. So there's two options. We know that Paul would not have divorced her. Um, uh, we know we would, we would be pretty confident. And so there's two choices we have. One, Paul got saved on Damascus Road and she left him. That is one option. The second option is that she had passed away. So one of those two options uh, has made Paul single. Uh, and so that's, we're not going to go into that. That's, it's just 
information that we know Paul at one point was married, but now he is single. And he's making a statement here, I wish that everyone could be as I myself am. What we want to grab from that is Paul is saying here, and he's, he says it in other places, but the idea given here is when you're a single and you're not, and I don't want to say this derogatory, but you're not tied down in a marriage or uh, you have a spouse to take care of you or to take care of and, and so on and children, when you are single, you have an ability to serve God as a married person doesn't. Because you don't have the distraction, you don't have the, the entanglements of marriage, and I'm not, again, saying that uh, derogatory, okay? Uh, you can be single-minded, as you might say. You can be focused uh, on the, the things of Christ, okay? And that's what Paul, as we see as we're going through uh, the book of Acts, Paul was very focused, and if he was married, that would be a very rough, difficult uh, marriage, probably impossible, okay? And so Paul would not have been able to do what he did, most likely, if he had been married the entire time. Uh, he says, however, each man, so I wish that everyone could be like me. He's not commanding that. He's just saying this is good. Um, however, each man is to have, uh, has his own gift, one in one manner and another. Uh, basically, Paul is saying that the gift of celibacy or the gift of singleness is a gift. It's a gift. Not everyone has it. I don't. Okay? That is not a gift that I have. Um, yeah, it, it's, there's no way. Okay? Um, but there are some. I, I've known people that have... Um, not been married there, you know, and God has given them that gift. And it, it's amazing what they have been able to do for the cause of Christ uh, because of the singleness of mine. Okay, so he gets into this, so he states that in verse 7, that it is a gift. All right, but I say to the married and to the, to the widow that this is a good for them to remain as I am. Okay, so this is good. If you can do it, this is a really good way to live because you can be dedicated to Christ. But he says here in verse number 9, but if they do not have self-control, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Okay? So Paul is saying this is a good thing to not be married. It's a good thing because of the singleness of mind. Um, but if you can't, because of the self-control, if this is not a, an area that you feel like you can do, get married. Because it's better to be married than to burn with passion. Basically, Paul is saying, get married because it's real difficult to stay pure in your body and mind if you desire a spouse. And again, we're, we're reminded that this is in a sexual understanding, okay? This is, this is a, a struggle that you would have. So to the, in closing here, I want us to just think of a few things. That this is a gift for the single person. It is a gift, and you need to view it that way. If you... 
we, we live in Utah, and those of you that are single in here and may be looking for a spouse, I want to encourage you, it is possible, okay? I came from California. My wife came from Virginia, and we met at a camp in the middle of Utah, okay? Uh, Christian camp. I was leading singing. She was playing the piano. It was not a shock, all right? <laughs> and... Uh, the, uh, we met, and, and God brought us together through the course of time. Uh, we do live where people in, you know, there's not a great vast of young people to, to uh, look for, but it is possible to find a, a spouse here. All right, girls? It is possible. Okay. Walker, he's back there. Yeah. All right. We got a long time to wait on that one now, right? <laughs> but it is possible, but you know, there's there's avenues to be able to find a spouse if that's the design or if that's the desire of your heart. Um, the, you know, my wife and I met at a camp. Um, there's there's ways to meet and, and to find. I will encourage you, Paul in no ways is saying just get married. Get married, but find a believer and get married in that uh, and that is the God's uh, design not to be unequally yoked okay and so if you desire to be married that is a good thing um, but in closing I want to say there's there's two options okay there are two options for sex only two okay with your spouse only or be single and don't have any. Those are your only two. There isn't a third option. There isn't a, well, two and a half option, okay? To the married, not to the engaged. Didn't say to the, I didn't say to the engaged or to those that, well, we're going to get married anyway, so it's okay. No. To the married, and I want to make this statement, and I want you to think about this, okay? For those of you that are married, you are the only legitimate source of sexual satisfaction for your spouse. You are the only legitimate source of sexual satisfaction for your spouse. There isn't any other God-honoring way to satisfy that desire. Okay? And for the single person, you are to be solely dedicated to Christ until God brings that person into your life. Praying for it, you know, if it's something that is a true desire of your heart and you're struggling with it, come talk to the elders and, and we can give you some, some understanding and some, some things, okay? There's colleges. If college isn't where you can be, there's, there's ways to meet good Christian young people. Okay, if there's none in your local vicinity. But until you find that person, you are to remain dedicated to Christ and pure in your body and your mind. And lastly, I just want to bring up, this is not all Paul says about marriage. This is an aspect of marriage. It's an important aspect of marriage. It's an, an aspect that Paul obviously deemed very important to, to write on. 
Um, but if you want to get a uh, more full and a, a deeper understanding of way Paul views marriage, Ephesians chapter 5, uh, the latter part, uh, Paul is going over the relationships between a man and a woman and how that equates to the church and, and the views that. And he talks about children and the, and the employer and relationship and so on. But Paul goes over that in detail. Uh, and we don't see where, we don't want to use Scripture as a, um, as a weapon against our spouse. We, we see this oftentimes, and sometimes it's in jest, but we'll see the man and says, well, remember what 1 Corinthians chapter 7 says, right? You remember what it says there. And she'll say, well, you remember what Ephesians chapter 5 says. You're supposed to love me, all right? You're supposed to care for me. Well, and this is not what we're using the Bible for, is a bickering back and forth. We are to fulfill the duties to keep ourselves pure, to keep ourselves right before God, and we help each other in this. Don't keep yourself from them. It is good. It is righteous. It is a God-honoring thing to enjoy your spouse in the bedroom. It's God-honoring, and it's designed for that purpose. So today, I hope that we are clear in that. Um, I hope that this was encouraging for those that needed to hear this. We are to stay single-minded with our spouse. Don't be looking around. And uh, help your spouse in that area. Talk to your spouse. Communicate with your spouse. Communication is probably one of the most difficult and hardest things to do, especially in this area. But it's a healthy thing to do. You need to communicate with your spouse and say, am I fulfilling your needs? You don't want to come to your spouse and say, you're not fulfilling mine. Am I fulfilling yours? And it's a two-way street. And it might be uncomfortable for some, but it's healthy. Am I fulfilling your needs? needs. And for the single people, God is your fulfillment until you become married. Until that time. Serve Him wholly. Dedicate your heart to Him. And pray that He would bring you a godly man or woman into your life. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You again for Your Word. We thank You for the, the power of it the straightforwardness of it. Lord, I pray that today we would desire to honor you in our marriages and how we conduct ourselves and that we are single-minded with our spouse and that we conduct ourselves in a right way with one another and giving of ourselves to one another. And Lord, for those that are single, uh, I pray, Lord, that you would give them strength and Lord, if they are looking for a spouse, that you would bring one to them. And Lord, that you would um, enable them to serve you in a way that some of us can't because uh, they are single. And Lord, what a gift that is. Lord, I just thank you for your word in your name. Amen.